Today's reading is taken from John 10, verses 1 to 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? For most of us, the quest for authentic spiritual experience is never far away. Of course, there have always been those who have frankly despaired of the possibility of true spiritual experience. The Italian film director Pellini is on record having said that, like many people, I have no religion. I'm just sitting on a small boat, drifting with the tide. I'm still on cutting, editing, editing, looking at life. What am I waiting for? I do not know. I guess many of the quest for authentic spiritual experience is a very real one. And certainly our culture comes up with a number of suggestions as to how that authentic spiritual experience may be found and discovered. Uh, perhaps in the music of the great cathedral, or the silence of a mountaintop, or the chanting of a religious ceremony, or the excitement of a pilgrimage or perhaps in some mystical experience, 
relates to a certain sense, the presence of the divine. Well, this morning we come to the end of this central section of John's Gospel, chapters 5 to 10, which we're looking at through the autumn. And we've seen that it's a section above all about the work that Jesus came to do, that he came to do God's work, that he came to do God's work both of giving life and also of judging. And so it should come as no surprise to hear that authentic spiritual experience is to be found in Jesus Christ alone. Because he is God in the flesh, comes to do God's work. And therefore, of course, as we hear his work, we hear his teaching, as we hear his voice, while we are hearing the voice of the living God himself. And this morning in John chapter 10, we're going to see what that looks like in practice. What it looks like in practice to know the living God in Jesus Christ. And as well as seeing the positive like that, where true spiritual experience lies, there is also a warning for us in this chapter, because Jesus will tell us that there is such a thing as spurious spiritual experience, which is very destructive. And therefore, to look at this chapter together, it would be worth having asking ourselves, is my spiritual experience authentic? In other words, is it what Jesus describes for us here in John chapter 10? Now to help us follow it, as usual, there's an outline on the back of the search sheet, and then we'll take questions after the talk as well. So first of all, Jesus, the true shepherd of God's people. Jesus, the true shepherd of God's people. Now the important lesson for us, when we come to look at the Bible, is to remember that the chapter divisions and the verses as we have them here on our own Bible are not in the original, and uh, they have been put in by the church. Uh, yes, they're a useful way to kind of help us navigate our, our way around the Bible. But John did not just sit down after a coffee break and say, right, I'm now ready to write chapter 10. <coughs> chapter 10 of John's Gospel follows straight on from chapter 9. Now, one of the dangers this morning is looking at chapter 10 in isolation from chapter 9 and missing the links in between. Because John chapter 10 really is a commentary on what we looked at last week in John chapter 9. Last week we remember that Jesus healed a man who had been born blind. And the extraordinary contrast on the one hand between that man who had been born blind, who came not only to have physical sight, but spiritual sight, so to speak, and came from his trust in Jesus. Contrast between him on the one hand, and on the other hand, the Pharisees and the religious establishment who refused to believe in Jesus and who throw the man out of the synagogue. And it's a that religious establishment that Jesus continues to speak of here in John chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Come up with those two verses. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold, sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another door, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Can you see how Jesus likens himself to the true shepherd of his people, in contrast with those who are thieves and robbers who come to steal the sheep? It's there again that you look on in verse 11, as Jesus says, I am the shepherd, and verse 14, I am the good shepherd. Now, I guess in many ways this is one of the most famous chapters of John's Gospel. 
But uh, in the first century, the word shepherds would not have generated the same kind of sort of sentimentality that it does for us in our context. For some reason, in English culture, shepherds are seen as rather romantic figures who spend their time walking around hillsides, cuddling their sheep, followed by their faithful sheepdogs. The first century shepherd in Israel, by contrast, did the dangerous shepherd. His life to protect his sheep from wild animals and from bandits, a dangerous job. Which is why at the time the title of shepherd was often used as the title for Israel's kings, because their job too was to protect their people from their enemies. <laughs> in fact, the language that Jesus uses here is a deliberate echo of a passage earlier on in the Old Testament. So why don't you keep a finger in John 10 and turn back to Ezekiel 34 on page 873. It's a passage we can look at a couple of times this morning, so this work is turning to it. Page 873, Ezekiel chapter 34. Now, Ezekiel was writing several hundred years before Jesus came. But this chapter is an indictment of the religious leaders of his own day. And in the chapter, God also says that he's going to do about it. So, have a look at verse 4, verse 2 to 4, on way through verse 2. This is what God is saying uh, to Ezekiel, telling Ezekiel to write and to pass on. Thus says the God of Israel, Our shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you bathe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, <coughs> you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strange you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. You see, the point they're meant to look after the sheep, but actually all they're interested in is looking after themselves. Now, keep a finger in Ezekiel 34, because we'll come back to it in just a moment. But, uh, and then turn back to John chapter 10. Because I hope you can see that Jesus is saying in his day things have changed. Verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Or verse 10, the sheep, the thief, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, clearly, in the context here, the thieves and robbers and the Pharisees and religious authorities that we saw in chapter 9, and those who are like them, uh, we saw clearly their attitude towards the man who had been light on his field as they kicked him out of the synagogue simply because he had put his trust. In Jesus Christ. Here are people who have given responsibility for looking after these people, yet they have blatantly failed to do so. And therefore, of course, these false shepherds who Jesus pinpoints in John chapter 10, <laughs> they stand for anyone who point people away from Jesus, the good shepherds. Because by doing so, they lead God's people only to death and to destruction. They may point to other religious experiences. Like those of Jesus' day, they may masquerade as religious leaders, as the leaders of God's people. But, but because they don't point people with Jesus' 
ไปรีดีกว่าไอ้นี้สุดแต่ I'm practicing the parallel to help us grasp the seriousness of what Jesus is describing here. Perhaps the outrage that people felt a couple of years ago on discovering that Ian Huntley had been employed as a school caretaker when actually he intended to do harm to the very children he was helping or meant to be looking after. Or the outrage that a Dr. Harold Shipman could be given the care of Huntley's elderly patients and kill them. Can we see the warning here? That Jesus gives us. You see, we're not to underestimate the, significant, the significance of false teaching. A false teacher is not harmless. If we take Jesus seriously on this point, we're to be aware of everyone who points away from Jesus as the only way to God. Of anyone who, although they may mention the name of Jesus, although they may use the language of the Bible, while they may be the church leaders. But the teaching of Jesus is not their central message. According to Jesus, they kill and destroy, <coughs> although they set themselves up as those who do follow Jesus. Like uh, the vicar of a meeting I went to on Thursday evening in the West End, who stood up and said that we then need to explain the message of Jesus to people who belong to other faiths. He went on to say we don't need to do that because. Course, they have discovered their own path to go on to. I didn't talk to him personally, as he stood up, he seemed to delight them. But clearly, Jesus leaves us in no doubt that he's a thief and a robber. But let's turn back to, to, to Ezekiel rather than Paul once again, page 873, if you've lost it. Because in Ezekiel 34, God says, False shepherds. He says he's going to intervene. Have a look down to verse 11. <coughs> but that says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of the clouds and thick darkness. And then look down to verse 15. Here is the wonderful promise. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them my lamb, declares the Lord God. <laughs> and clearly back in John chapter 10, Jesus sees himself as the as fulfilling that promise. Here is Jesus Christ. Here is God in the flesh. Come to shepherd his people. Verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now the metaphor clearly has changed a bit. You can see that in the 20 verse 9 as Jesus refers to himself not so much as the shepherd but as the door or the gate. In other words, the point he is the point of access to God. But the point is still that he is the one who gives life to the full. Now I think sometimes that's a phrase which is misunderstood in John chapter 10. It's often misunderstood as a promise that Jesus offers a sort of healthy, wealthy, happy life. 
lightning on its fullness. But remember the man back in John chapter 9 we saw last week. And he has experienced life to the full, the life of Jesus offers. Yet he's been persecuted by the religious establishment, rejected by his own parents, and thrown out of the synagogue. So clearly the life that Jesus is talking about here, he is not simply saying health, wealth, and so on. Now having life to the full is defined for us in verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and will go in and find pasture. Life is so rescue. It is security. It is provision. It is knowing Jesus. It is being given eternal life by him. Life with God in this world and the next. <coughs> we see that happening throughout chapters 5 to 10, that is the life of Jesus offers. Life with God both in this world and the next. So then that is the first place what it is to have an authentic spiritual experience, that is the source of authentic spiritual life. It is for no Jesus, the true shepherd and ruler of God's people. Secondly, Jesus, the true shepherd, committed to his people. Now the contrast here in verses 11 to 18 is between the good shepherd on the one hand and the hired hand on the other. Have a look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and has nothing for the sheep. Well, it's a fairly obvious point, isn't it? That uh, unlike the pious hand, he doesn't own the sheep, and therefore, as soon as the time is with the danger comes along, he's off. <laughs> the shepherd is committed, thoroughly committed to the sheep. What's more, I wonder if you noticed, as we read the passage for us, the wonderful intimacy with which Jesus the shepherd knows his sheep. Have a look at verse 14. I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Now, I know anything about sheep, we've been brought up in North London, but apparently the first century shepherd knew the sheep by name. He could pen his sheep all together at night in a pen, in a sheep pen, with sheep who belonged to another shepherd. And in the morning he would get to his sheep and he could name the sheep by name. They didn't have any branding on them or anything like that. He simply knew them and knew them each one by name. You see, when Jesus looks at the world, he doesn't see what we see. He doesn't see the faceless multitudes on the tube, a thousand in a football stadium, all wearing identical team colours. They instead perceive individuals, and distinctly individuals who belong to him. He knows those in the sheep clan who are his. He knows them. Those in the football stadium who are his. He knows them. And wonderfully, we see the authenticating mark of the shepherd is that he is willing to die for his sheep. Can you see how Jesus says that three times? So, verse 11 the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
Verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life. For Jesus, the key characteristic of the Good Shepherd is that he lays down his life for his people. Which of course is a strange thing to because we might have thought the most useful kind of shepherd would be a live shepherd. You can protect the sheep rather than a dead shepherd. So Jesus' assumption must be, mustn't it, that the sheep are in mortal danger. And we've seen that, we've been here in the last few weeks, looking at John chapter 7 and 8. And we've seen, haven't we, that uh, how sin leads to judgment, how our rebellion against God means that all of us are by nature under God's wrath. <coughs> but the shepherd loses his life in their defense. By his death they are saved and can save. If Jesus is the true shepherd who is that committed to his people. And so he lays down his life voluntarily because he is committed to the first 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down at my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. So wonderful thing is we can see the crucifixion of Jesus Christ teaches us many things. It teaches us that sin is serious. It teaches us that God is just. But here we see that it teaches us that Jesus is this committed to his people to voluntarily lay his life down for them. That is the authenticating mark of Jesus' ministry, that he will lay his life down for his people. I told you to go to Lamford in Dorset as the officer's mess that the royal signalman's call. There's a picture of a very moving scene from the First World War. It's a picture where a signalman has clearly climbed out of his trench and gone over the top into no man's land to repair a broken telephone cable. And he's lying there, and we see him holding together both ends of the cable so that communication can be restored, presumably in due course to help the battle uh, to be won and to save the lives of others. But I told you on close inspection, as you look at that picture, you see that the signalman himself has died giving his life voluntarily for the sake of others. Well, I guess it's extraordinary enough that when we hear of one person who has done that, brothers, of one human being who has done that, but how totally extraordinary that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, should be that committed to his people, to lay down his love, to give life, life in this world with God and in the next, to his people. So then what is authentic spiritual experience? It is to be known by this Jesus, who is committed to his people. Which I guess makes the question of well, is that our experience this morning? Here's the wonderful truth you see, if we're Christians this morning, Jesus knows by name, he knows our family, he knows where we live, he knows our circumstances, he knows our history, he knows our experiences, he knows our trials. He may be despised by our family for following Christ. I was talking to a Christian from Muslim background recently who told me he had been totally disowned by his natural family. Another friend of mine who's been cut off from his inheritance for the same reason. 
really need to apply the politics to being a Christian. Get asked from someone else recently, you've seen they think they despise me for following Jesus. Yet wonderfully, we are <coughs> by Jesus. As he guards his people, as he protects them, the true shepherds, who is thoroughly committed to his people. It shows you the wonderful security of the Christian. It's no wonder that later on in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul declares, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus, the true shepherd, committed to his people. Thirdly, God's people listen to the true shepherds. And here in this third section, contrast between the shepherds who the sheep listen to you on the one hand, and the stranger who they don't listen to on the other. And we couldn't have failed, I guess, as Ruth read the passage of to see that right through this passage runs the refrain that those who belong to Jesus, and those who know Jesus, are listening to his voice. Have a look at verse 3 to 5, for example. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Or verse 8, all who came before me appeased the robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Or verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this flock. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So Jesus is very clear to teach you what is the authentic, uh, what is the hallmark of being a part of God's people? What is the hallmark of being a sheep, so to speak? Why it is that they listen to the true shepherds. They follow him, he leads them. They know his voice, and negatively, they will not listen to anyone else. And once again, it's exactly, it's exactly what we saw in John chapter 9 last week. Do you remember how the man will blind listen to Jesus? Uh, just think back a page, John chapter 9, uh, verses 6 and 7. John chapter 9, verse 6, having said these things, Jesus spat on the ground and made mud of the saliva. Then he launched the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash the pool's tile. So he went and washed and came back seeing. He listened to Jesus. And you remember too how by contrast he refused to listen to the Pharisees and the religious authorities. He told them in no uncertain terms, verse 32, never since the world began to be heard of anyone in the eyes of the man with lies. If this man were not from God, he would do nothing. He knows his shepherd. He listens to his voice. He won't listen to anyone else. Just imagine the next Saturday you go and see some friends with their one-month-old baby. 
In fact, let's make it very easy for us. Let's imagine that it's Garth and Juliet Williams, and you start to go and see them. Uh, you've said that you'll babysit for a couple of hours while they have their first child-free morning. Well, the old children are absolutely fine, as Garth and Juliet uh, wander around Dulwich for a couple of hours. As in Garth, to begin with, but just as you think, sort of getting the, the hang of the whole thing and looking after four children and looking after one month old baby, things begin to go wrong and Mark begins to cry. The crying gets louder and louder. As you look at his facial expressions, you think to himself, yes, he looks just like his father. <laughs> finally, after what seems like weeks, Garth and Juliet finally return. Mark hears the voice of his parents and he stops crying. And of course, at that point, everyone knows exactly who it is that Mark Williams belongs to. Or simply can we see the full Mark of God's true people if they listen to the voice of Jesus? Now, obviously, we don't have Jesus physically present with us, next to us, as they do there. But uh, the way we listen to Jesus is a revival. The Bible is not speaking to us. Negatively, of course, is why God's people won't go to some churches. Because they know that what they'll get is a diet of music disciples or political and social comment or endless parenting rather than going to the words of Jesus Himself. It's why the fallout of a genuine church is that God's people seem to gather together to hear God's voice, to hear the voice of Jesus as the Bible is read and explained. So let me ask, is that how we view Grace Church on a Sunday morning? Is that how we view our study groups on a Tuesday evening? Is that how we think of our time of reading the Bible during the day ourselves? Is it simply kind of routine that we got ourselves into? It's easy to think like that. So it's Sunday morning, we go to church, it's Tuesday evening, we'll go to our study group. Yes, I know I need to read my Bible. So easy, but it's simply kind of routine rather than actually listening to the voice of the Good Shepherd himself. And what greater privilege could there be than that? I guess there'll be some of us who actually don't really got around to reading the Bible, in which case, why not visit the bookstore afterwards? I'm sure some of them will be happy to recommend some Bible reading books. Because to hear the voice of the shepherds, <coughs> the shepherds who lays his life down for his sheep, and to know the me. That is authentic spiritual experience. Why don't we pray together and then we've got time to take questions. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Heavenly Father, we pray to you very much for the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the good shepherd, the true ruler of the people, committed to his people, who came to lay down his life for his people, that we may have life, life with you in this world and the next. We're sorry, Heavenly Father, we take knowing Jesus, knowing the good shepherd for granted. And we pray therefore that we would be those who are keen to hear his voice and to follow. And we ask him for Jesus' name.